Before I jump in, I do want to um, pause and just say thank you so much to all of you who uh, prayed while we were gone to Ecuador. I just can't thank you enough for your prayer, your encouragement. If you're joining us for the first time, a few weeks ago, a team of 15 of us from Woodside, 14 from the Romeo campus and one from the Troy campus, we loaded up on an airplane and we went to Ecuador. And I'd love to start to tell you stories but if I start to tell you stories, we're going to be here for a few hours. Like it's going to take hours and hours and hours. And we don't have time for that because there's going to be another service coming in just a little bit. And so um, what we're going to do is we're just going to say I've got a lot of sermon material for the next few months. Like I've got lots of Ecuador stories to tell you. You'll hear one later on as, as we continue on. But again, thank you. It really, the, the prayer and encouragement and support and giving, it um truly felt like a whole church family was going to Ecuador, not just a team of a few people. So thank you very much for your partnership in that. I was thinking earlier in this week, you know, there's times where you hear something and it demands a response. You know what I mean? Like you can't just ignore it. Like if you're a new parent and you've got this baby that you just brought home from the hospital and it's 2 a.m. and that baby, you can't ignore that, can you? Like, you can't just say, oh, I'll get to it later. No, you've got to get up, and you've got to go take care of that baby. Or let's say your boyfriend is proposing to you, and he's on his knee, and you're in a restaurant, and it happens to be the restaurant where you went on your very first date to, and he says, will you marry me? Amy, you cannot say nothing. That's not an option. Like, you, I'm 26 years later, I'm still bitter. Like, you've got to answer, right? You have to answer. And because uh, I had to tell you the answer. <laughs> I did. Okay, real fast because she's going to heckle me and she's going to sit on row two heckling me. No, I really had to, from my knee in this restaurant, say, Amy, this is where you say yes. She was surprised, she says. All right. <laughs> Here, here's the point. Here's where I'm going with this. When it comes to God speaking to us through his holy word and through other Christians, this is where we can't not respond. And yet, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think that this is one of the biggest struggles that you and I have together. I think that one of the biggest struggles we have is God will communicate to us, and we just kind of say, I'll worry about that later. And so how are you doing when he says, I want you to forgive that person? See, I think, that, I think sometimes the tendency is, I'll get to that later, Lord. I really don't want to do that right now. I want you to go, and I want you to apologize. Mm, I definitely don't want to do that, right? I want you to go. Well, I'm kind of busy. Right? I want you to stay, but I'm really sick of this place, right? We've always got excuses, but how do we respond when God, through his holy word or through others, how do we respond to God? Because I'm going to tell you right now, indecision is a decision. You're saying no. You're telling God no. So how do we do when the Lord is calling us to something? So this is it, guys. This is our final week. Our final week, looking at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Let's go ahead and turn there in our Bibles now. Acts chapter 2, since this is our final week, that means next week is a brand new sermon series. And if you really love this sermon series, just so you know, it's really going to be the same. We're continuing. Uh, so we're repackaging it a little bit because the focus completely changes. When you get to Acts 2.42, like everything changes in Acts 2, like the whole focus changes uh, with the narrative, and so we're going to kind of appropriately shift gears next week. If you've missed a few weeks, let me catch you up to speed with where we are and what's going on. Acts 2, we're in Jerusalem. We're in Jerusalem, and this is the Feast of Weeks. 
or the Pentecost. And so people from all the neighboring areas, they're all coming together, all these different languages, all these people, different people, they're all coming together for the Pentecost. Penta, like the Pentagon is five. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So this is roughly 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus. That's when something extraordinary happens. The disciples are all together, right? They're in the upper room. They're together, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes on them, all of a sudden, these disciples, they're able to speak in languages that they don't know. They go out of that upper room to where all the people are gathered for Pentecost, for the Feast of Weeks. They go out, and they start to preach to them in their own language. It'd be like if I went down to Ecuador and all of a sudden I could speak Spanish. Just as people who went with us. I can't speak Spanish. Like I tried. It's just a really bad Portuguese. That's all it is. And, and so it not only speak it though, not just say, hey, I'd like some chicken with my dinner. Not just that, but they were able to preach in the language. That's a whole different level of language ability, right? But they were able to preach in the language. So here we have the disciples. They're spread out. They're preaching to the people in their own languages. This mass of people, they're all gathered, and that's where Peter says, this is it. This is the moment. In Acts 2, 14 through 36, he gives the content of this sermon. I know that Chris and Abe, over the past two weeks, they have been preaching over that sermon, but this is where once Peter has preached, God's word has been spoken. It's time for the people to respond to the message, which brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that when God calls you, respond. Don't ignore him. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I'll listen next week, next month, next year. When God calls you, respond. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, well how am I supposed to respond? We're going to see through scripture three ways we respond. The first way is we respond with brokenness. That's where we're going to jump in. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. The Word of God says this. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter finishes preaching for the moment. He's actually going to preach some more in just a second, but he finishes for the moment. And the Bible says that when they heard this, well, that's where we got to stop, right? And I know, I know that Abe already preached it last week, but we have to stop and go back, right? We do, anytime you see when they heard this, you need to say, what? What is this? What did they hear? What they heard is they heard Peter go back and say, let me talk about the Old Testament prophets. Let me talk about, in verses 17 through 21, the prophet Joel. Let me talk about King David in verses 25 through 28, verses 34 and 35. Let me talk about how they told about the coming of the Messiah. He did all that to say his point was that the Holy Spirit has come to God's people because his servant, Jesus, has lived and died and rose again to show that he is the Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world that they were waiting for, that he is the Lord, right? That's what all this was pointing to. And then the kicker in verse 36. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, that's his way of looking out over the crowd and say, hey, all y'all, I want all y'all to know this. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, you killed God's servant. You killed the Savior. You killed him. 
you got to think that out of all those people there, not all of them were there 50 days before. Some, yeah, there were some there. Some may have even been right in that crowd with Pilate shouting, crucify him, crucify him, but not all. But did you see the words are so strong? This Jesus whom you crucified, they're probably thinking, I wasn't holding the hammer. Right? The Romans did that. The Jews didn't do that. The Romans did that. They're the ones who were holding the hammer. They're the ones who drove the nails into the hands and the feet. How are we guilty? And I think this is Peter's way of saying to them and really saying to us, I want to make crystal clear, because of your rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, you are responsible for putting him on the cross. Let me say that another way. We are responsible for putting him on the cross. As you examine scripture, you see 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says God made him who had no sin to be sin for who? For us. For us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We like that part, don't we? We like the right standing with God. We like eternity in heaven, but don't skip that first part. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us because we were the ones guilty of sin. We were the ones of choosing self over the Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible makes this claim that no other religion, no other faith in the world makes the Bible makes this claim that because of our wrongdoings, Jesus died for us. Because of our wrongdoings, he pays this price on the cross to buy our eternal freedom forever. And the Bible says that once they heard this, once they heard this truth and the blinders were removed from their eyes, church, they were, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the very core. And they said, brothers, what then shall we do about this? How do we make this right? Now that we've heard this truth, what are we supposed to do? You would think that they'd respond like we do in our culture. You know what we do? We blame shift, don't we? Well, it ain't my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's president's fault. It's Russia's fault. It's somebody's fault, right? But it's certainly not my fault. That's what we do. But we don't see that example here. We want to say it was Colonel Mustard in the billiard room with the candlestick. We want to blame somebody. We're so quick to push blame. But listen, if you're not open to God's correction of your own brokenness, you're not open to his mending. Do, do you hear? If you're not open, if you're not open to God correcting your brokenness you're not open to his mending that i think of all the testimonies i heard in ecuador all throughout the week the thing that i heard most is oh my goodness billy the lord is just wrecking me here let me translate that for you billy I had to get on an airplane and go all the way to ecuador but all of a sudden once i got in ecuador i kind of dropped all the barriers that i had up and i'm open saying lord here i am I'm just, I'm open to your correction. And in that place, Lord, I'm, I'm open to your healing. What an incredible, incredible posture, right? And that's the posture that we should all have. Now, before I go on to the second response, there's one more thing I want to point out. This is incredible. Let's just go a little bit deeper. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, I think sometimes we skip that in our brains, we think that this is Peter's sermon. 
and it kind of is, but it's not just Peter's sermon, is it? Because when they responded, they responded to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, Peter was doing this in community. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. And my encouragement to you is you're not supposed to ever do your faith journey alone. Never are you called to do your faith journey alone. The missionary that we met in Ecuador, Pete, he said that that really is, if you think of all the struggles you could have in a different country, he said sometimes the lack of fellowship, that's, that's what it is, that, that lack of accountability, that what we have. There's two avenues that Woodside does that through. Our corporate gathering on Sunday mornings and biblical community, our groups. So if you're not in a group, just say, you know, I'm not going to quit talking about it. Like, I'm going to talk about it all the time because those are the two avenues that we do church life through. We do church life through Sunday mornings and through biblical community. Don't try to do this on your own. We see examples right here in Acts 2 where they're doing it together. So when God speaks, not only do you respond with brokenness, but you respond with repentant faith. That word repentant is key right there. Here's why. Look at verse 38. Peter said to them, repent, there it is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what do you do when you're in that spot of going, Lord, I'm wrecked, Lord, I've opened my heart to your correction, I'm open to you doing something. Lord, I need your healing. Here's what Peter says. Peter says there's two commands and there's two promises. Two commands and two promises. The first command, do you see it? The first command is to repent. Repent. Now, if, if you're fairly new to church, let me explain repent because it's not that complicated. Repent says I'm going this way. Here's what I think about life. Here's what I want in life. Here's how I feel. Here's what I deserve. Here's what I'm chasing. Here's what... TV says I should be thinking about. Here's what's okay in society. Here's what, it's when you slam on the brakes there. You stop. You see, all of a sudden, we've made chasing ourselves to be a good and noble thing, and yet that's not. Because if you're chasing yourself, you're not chasing the Lord. It's to slam on the brakes from chasing sin to turn. Literally, that's what the word means. It means to turn to Jesus. And when you turn to Jesus, you place your faith and your trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That's command one, to repent. Command number two, do you see it? It says to baptize. We're going to talk a lot more about that in, in just a moment. Uh, but first, we do have a baptism service coming up in two weeks. Some of you place your faith in Jesus. You have never been baptized. And I just want to put that challenge out there now so that for the rest of the service, it can just be rattling around in your head and your heart that uh, you need to be obedient. Here we have the second of two commands. This is it. Peter says, you want to respond to the Lord? If you want to respond to the Lord, first you need to repent, turn to Jesus. The second thing you need to do is you need to be baptized. And some of you haven't been faithful with that very second thing that we're told to do. You've never done that. So as I keep talking, I want to explain a little bit more this morning what baptism is, why we do it, but I'm going to come back to that. The two promises that we see in repentance, we see this promise of the forgiveness of sins. This is huge. This is where the Lord says, I'm going to take all of your sin. I'm going to throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. 
It becomes as far away as the east is from the west. Do you see that? And then the, the second part of the promise is that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. I do want to correct something real quick because sometimes churches start to believe that to be saved, to have salvation, to have a right standing with God, that it's going to be the cross plus baptism. It's going to be the cross plus speaking in tongues. It's going to be the cross plus following these rules and making sure you're a good boy or a good girl. It's going to be the cross plus, and that's just not what we believe as Christians. We believe it's the cross plus nothing. Otherwise, we start bragging, don't we? We start boasting, look how good I am, look how much money I gave, look how much I've served, look where we went, right? It becomes this bragging match. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast, right? It's the cross of Jesus plus nothing. So then Peter keeps going and he says, this promise that's being fulfilled is for you and it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for the Jew, and it's for the Gentile, and it's for your kids, and it's for those who don't even believe right now, and it's for those 2,000 years from now who are going to gather in Romeo, and it's for those in Ecuador. This message is open to all. This is the most inclusive message that the world has ever seen. This message is absolutely incredible. When God calls you, you respond. But I think the thing is, as we start to kind of fall into this trap of saying, okay, but we're talking about sin, and is my sin even all that bad? I mean, I know I've messed up. I'm not like the prison people, you know. I'm not like that. I haven't murdered anyone today, you know, so I'm good. And, and we start to kind of make excuses until we're kind of confronted with the reality of our sin. And then you know what I think we do? I think we start to blame shift again. Whose fault is it? And then you end up like our first parents, Adam and Eve. And you end up in this spot of going, you know what? It's God's fault. God is to blame. But the example that we see here in Acts is we see God's unconditional love come because of unconditional trust. That's what repentance is. Repentance is where we turn to him. We trust him. We place our faith in him. Let's look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, and with many other words... Kind of like a pastor, right? With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I don't need to convince you that we're in a crooked generation, do I? I, I don't. We are so, we're, we're so broken in today's society. We look at all the major institutions. We look at our government. Now, some of you are on this side of the political spectrum. Some of you are on this side. And what do we do? Those people are crooked. Those people are crooked. And so we just have complete broken trust. People look at the church. They're crooked. We look at our educational system. It's crooked. We look at our own family. Let's get down to the very basic of, of systems, the, the family unit. When you look at our own family unit, there's going to be people in your family, and you're going to go, what is wrong with that person? They're so self-absorbed. They're so crooked. They're so twisted. They're so church we need a savior. We need rescue. We need Jesus as much today as we did in the first century. We need him. So the third way we respond. The third way we respond is with that second command. We respond with baptism. That was the second command. So Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now the people would have understood what that meant. They would have understood they were supposed to go down to the cleansing waters and immerse themselves. The word is baptizo, literally to go under 
the water, they would need to baptizo themselves in the water. But I want you to pay real close attention to the Old Testament. For those of you who have read the Old Testament a lot, over and over and over again, don't you see examples where there's a ceremonial cleansing, where they get into the waters and they cleanse them. Baptizo, they understand baptism. But when they would cleanse themselves, they would cleanse themselves in the name of Yahweh and Yahweh alone. They would never, ever do it in the name of Moses. They would never do it in the name of King David. Why? Because the cleansing and the purification could only come from God. Did you see what Peter said? Let's look again. Peter said, Peter said that you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Church, this had never, ever been done. This had never been done. You need to be baptized. Go under the water. Stand with Jesus in his death and his burial. Come out of the water and stand with Jesus in his resurrection. This had never been done. This was a new thing. This was a brand new thing, right? It's, it's amazing. Now, Jews would have understood baptism because oftentimes if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they could do that. One of the last steps would be a ceremonial cleansing, a baptism. They would literally get in the waters. They would wash, signifying the washing off of their Gentileness. They would go under the water, and they would come up, signifying that now I'm clothed in my Jewishness, right? This is how they would go about becoming a Jew. Now, some people, one other thing I want to clean up real quick. Some people have taught that salvation comes through faith alone, but that it's baptism where the Holy Spirit comes. And I, I just want to, and they get that from right here. This is the passage that that comes from. And I just want to caution you against that because if you go back to verse 4, do you remember verse 4 of Acts? That's where the disciples are in the upper room. There's no baptizing going on, is there, except the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? The Holy Spirit was the baptism on that night. Or if you fast forward to Acts 10. In Acts 10, Peter is teaching the crowd at Cornelius' house. Starting in verse 44, it says this. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water, for they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Church, the pattern we see, you repent of your sin, you hear the gospel, you repent of your sin, you place your faith in Jesus, and it's at that moment that the Holy Spirit comes. He takes up residence inside of you. He empowers you in that moment, and it's then that we're supposed to be baptized. When you're baptized, it's an outward sign to all the people who are watching. Here is what has happened in my heart. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul says... You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So in Acts, we see this example. You publicly declare your faith in him. That's the example we see. This is why... It's called believer's baptism, and why at Woodside we don't baptize infants. If you've ever wondered that, uh, let me cover that real quick. We don't baptize little babies 
uh, here at the church. We save that for after you're old enough to place your faith in Jesus. We have a child dedication, which is where parents say we're committing to raise our children to know and to love the Lord. Um, but the kid's not making a decision right then. The parents are making a decision. I know that for some of you, this has been a stumbling block, and, and I get it. I just want you to know I get it. I wasn't raised uh, at Woodside Romeo. I was raised in a different church. My parents started taking me to church when my brother was born, and so he was, he was probably a week old when the baptism happened. He was a little bitty baby. I was not a baby, but I was a little fella, and we were both baptized at the same time in the church. And um, I remember for years after placing my faith in Jesus, this was kind of a stumbling block for me. Like, because I had said, I, I've already been baptized. Why do you want me to be re-baptized? And that really wasn't what the church was saying at all. What the church was saying is, no, scriptural believer's baptism comes after salvation. And I've just encouraged people through the years that if you were one of those that you were baptized as a little baby, your parents did what they said. They raised you to know the Lord. They raised you to love the Lord. But this is a baptism that's about your decision about placing your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So again, two weeks we have a baptism service. And I have a feeling that there's quite a few in this room that you haven't taken that first step. When you hear the Lord, how do you respond? My encouragement is be faithful. Fill out a communication card. You can do that right now. Fill out the communication card. Or just stop at the Next Steps desk on the way out and just talk to us and just say, hey, I need to get my name on that list for two weeks. We'll have everything you need, all the instructions. We'll walk you right through that. Uh, let's continue on, though. Verse 41 it says, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That morning, there were about 120 believers. By that night... There are about 3,120 believers, right, all in the span of one day. Jesus said in John 14, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus said we're going to do greater things than he. And I think that sometimes when we hear that, we think about miracles, walking on water, healing the sick, the lame, the blind. But when he left, there were 120 believers and in one day, because the family was faithful in living out a life empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth of the gospel, the number grew in one day by 3,000. Remember Acts 1.8? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they're at. Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. I think um, sometimes we become enamored with that number 3,000 in one day. My hope today is that that's not what we're enamored with. What we're enamored with is the faithfulness of brothers and sisters in Christ who are simply faithful in living out what it means to be a church family and speak truth. So real fast Ecuador story for you. We, um, every day we would kind of start our day about 6.30. That's when breakfast started. We'd get together for breakfast, and after breakfast, we'd have a time of devotion. So it'd be the 15 of us from, from Woodside with the one missionary, and we'd do our devotion time. We'd get on the bus, and then we would go to the work site. Our work site was a church, and uh, what we were doing is putting the second story onto this church so that they could expand their ministry. 
So they've been just kind of in one single room down the bottom. They were ready to expand. The pastor and the missionary would get us together with the Ecuador workers. They had um, bricklayers and, and welders uh, that they had hired to come in and work alongside us. So we would all get together and do a devotion time in the morning, about 15 minutes, and then get to work. And so you can see from the photos, it started just as a clean slate. And next thing you know, there's trusses going up and there's bricks going up and we would work to about noon, and at noon, we would call timeout with the work, and we would eat lunch. You know, you got to get a couple sandwiches to keep going, and then we'd go back to work, and then at 2.30, the kids would start to come in for VBS in the afternoon. A couple people would stay working. Most of us would go, and we would start working with the kids. Uh, we were able to accomplish about twice what they thought we would accomplish we had to have a thousand extra block delivered on Wednesday so we could keep working. But you can see we're able to complete the room there. Uh, and yet the Lord was so good. We as a church did not get to put the finishing touches on. It's appropriate that the believers there should be able to do that, isn't it? So the front door, the front door is not installed yet and the windows aren't installed. Everything else you can see from the photos, everything else got finished. It was ready to go. But let me tell you about one of the greatest victories of the week. There was a, an assistant to the welder. His name was Cesar, or Caesar, right? Caesar, um, 22 years old, getting ready to be a daddy come January. On a Friday, you know, he'd been listening to the devotions in the morning and then working right alongside us all day, every day, sweating the same sweat we sweat. Like, he was just going for it. Um, on Friday, he grabbed Steve Dalton uh, from our campus and grabbed the missionary, Pete, and said, hey, I need to talk to you guys. So they went into a room, and they were talking, and he said, um, today's the day. Today's the day I need to give my life to the Lord. You know, whether it's 3,000 or whether it's one, my hope is we are equally enamored with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How are you doing when it comes to responding to the Lord? Is your answer obedience? Is your answer brokenness? Is your answer, Lord, here's my heart. It's open. It's for you. I got to be open for correction before I can be open to be mended. If he says to forgive, do you? Or do you hold on to bitterness? If he says to give, do you? Or do you hang on to it and say, but I've got to control this? If he says to go, do you? Or do you talk about everything that can go wrong? If he tells you to stay, do you? Or do you say, here's every reason why I really ought to go? Are we faithful and obedient? When you hear repent and be baptized, have you done that? Have you come to that spot where you've surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior? And have you taken that very first step with obedience and baptism? Lord, we thank you for today. God, I, um, I, pr I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who maybe they've been hearing from you for a season and they just haven't, they haven't listened. Lord, they want to act like you're going to go away. They want to act like you didn't mean it when you said, I want you to go and apologize. Lord, sometimes we do that. We act like you're not serious when you say to be generous or to forgive, to live at peace with everyone. Lord, I think sometimes we act like you're, you're joking when you talk about the relationship that husbands and wives are supposed to have. 
toward each other. I think sometimes we think that it's optional when you talk to us about how we're supposed to serve. So Lord, will you just reach in and grab our hearts and do what you want to? Continue to help us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Um, people still praying in this room. I know that it's possible that you're in this room and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. I, I just want to give you that opportunity. See, here's the truth. The truth is God loves you. He loves you completely. But you've missed the mark of perfection. You're not holy, right? You, you, you've made mistakes. The Bible calls that sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation between you and a heavenly father. And I want you to know you can't fix it. Your behavior can't fix it. No amount of praying can fix it. No amount of generosity can fix it. No amount of being a good girl or a good boy can fix it. That doesn't fix it. Jesus alone can fix it. That's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect and sinless life. When he was crucified on the cross, it paid for all of your sins and all of my sins. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that it's in that place, it's in that moment that you're rescued, that you're saved. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never stopped and surrendered. I just want you to have a place where you can say, God, I believe. I believe you love me. And I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. Lord, I believe that's why Jesus came. He lived the perfect life, which I can't do. He was crucified on a cross to pay for my sin. I believe he was placed in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. Jesus, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. I've tried so hard to do it on my own. But I know I can't. That's why you came. So Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that was you today, I just want to encourage you to tell somebody. Don't make a decision like that, the greatest decision you'll ever make, and keep it a secret. I'll be right up here at the end of the service. There'll be people at the back of the room. There'll be people at the desk. You got friends sitting next to you. Don't leave here without telling someone. Church, let's stand as we continue to sing about the incredible love of our Father.